Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Ladies, gentlemen, and friends, different, afraid, and alone is the theme for this session. I ask the panel to please confine their share as it pertains to their alcoholism. I now hand you over to our speakers and they will speak in the following order. Ron from Midrand, Johannesburg. Kugu from Soweto, Johannesburg. Bela from Unit 2, Chatsworth. Shane from Mount Croy, PE. And Kuben from Clearwood, Durban. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ron, and Ron is an alcoholic. Uh, first things first, it is but for the grace of God that I do stand here today to say, share a message of hope. So if you don't mind, if you could invite the God of your understanding, as I invite the God of my understanding into this meeting, so that a message of hope can be spread. Thank you. Just a moment of silence. Higher power, who is always with us, blessed be your name. Come into our lives and this convention. Let us know your will and help us to live it out each day. Give us today that which we need and help us show forgiveness to others, just as you show forgiveness to us. Please protect us from temptation and restore us when we fall, for everything we have comes from you and all good things are yours, as it has always been and will always be, forever and ever. Amen. Like I said, uh, good morning friends, Ron is an alcoholic, my home group is Midran AA. I would like to thank the organizing committee and all of you beautifully blessed souls for allowing me the opportunity to share my message of hope. Guys, please forgive me, I am very, very nervous. These days I don't consume alcohol to take away my nervousness, uh, besides the Holy Spirit, so please bear with me. Okay, uh, it's very, this, this is a, a passage from the, from the big book that's very pertinent in, uh, in my recovery and it reads, Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives, C, B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, See that God could and would if he was sought. Acceptance was my answer. And my daily sobriety is contingent on my spiritual condition. My past was full of stupid choices, dangerous behaviors, and, and sad endings. If it wasn't for my mind, uh, for the gutters, my mind would be homeless. But it's also full of the grace of God. Alcohol was writing my story until I took the pen on that unforgettable day, the 21st of June 2015, when I hit my spiritual rock bottom, and the 24th of June 2015, which is my sobriety date, when I decided to finally try a new way of life. I can't explain why I made so many mistakes, why I repeated them, knowing I was digging a hole too deep to climb out of. I only know I did. I can't explain it or, or excuse it, but now I own it. No one forced me to do it. Therefore, rather than excuse, I chose to be accountable. 
And that was when I realized that I was different, afraid, and very alone. Why is this important? Because accountability takes me from a victim mentality to a victor mentality. It puts me in the driver's seat and in control of my next move. I can't explain the past. I just have to learn from it. And I have to be three things. I have to be honest, open-minded, and willing. And I have to do five things. I have to have faith in the, in the God of my understanding. I have to try and work and live the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I have to trust and believe in my sponsor. I have to attend meetings. And I have to give back by doing service. I fall, I rise, I make mistakes, I live, I learn. I am human, not perfect. I've been hurt, but I'm alive. Think of what a precious privilege it is to be alive, to breathe, to think, to enjoy, and to chase the things I love. Sometimes there is sadness in my journey, but there is also lots of beauty. I must keep putting one foot in front of the other, even when I hurt or feel like giving up, for I will never know what is waiting for me just around the bend. I spent a lifetime in hell, and it only took me 12 steps to get to heaven. I can't go back and change the beginning, but I can start where I am and change the ending. Remember, as almighty and powerful as he is, God cannot do one thing, and that is to change my past, but he can surely change my future. Today I may feel like I'm one in the world, but tomorrow I will mean the world to someone. Prior, prior to Alcoholics Anonymous, I often felt that I didn't fit in with people around me. Usually they had more or less money than I did, and my points of view didn't jive with theirs. The amount of prejudice I had experienced in society only proved to me just how phony some self-righteous people were. After joining AA, I found the way of life I had been searching for. In AA, no member is better than any other member. We are just alcoholics trying to recover from alcoholism. I believe that we in Alcoholics Anonymous are, are fortunate in that we are constantly reminded of the need to be grateful and of how important gratitude is to our sobriety. I am truly grateful for the sobriety God has given me through AA program and am glad I can give back what was given to me freely. I am grateful not only for, for sobriety, but for the quality of life my sobriety had brought. God has been gracious enough to give me sober days and a life blessed with peace and contentment, as well as the ability to give and receive love, the opportunity to serve others in our fellowship, my family, my community. For all of this, I have a full and thankful heart. I will never tell you that recovery is easy. I will never sugarcoat it for you because my mouth is not a bakery. And the truth of the matter is that trying to live the 12-step program is really painstaking and you're going to have to fight like hell. But the good news is that there is, that, that it's totally worth the struggle. And the, pro the promises also tells me that if I am painstaking about this phase of my life, I will be amazed even if I'm halfway through. I craved freedom. First, freedom to drink. Later, freedom from drink. The AA program of recovery rests on the foundation of free choice. There are no mandates, laws, or commandments. AA spiritual program, as outlined in the 12 steps and by which I am offered even greater freedoms, is only suggested. I can take it or leave it. 
Sponsorship is offered, not forced, and I come and go as I will. It is these and other freedoms that allow me to recapture the dignity that was crushed by the burden of drink and which is so dearly needed to support an enduring sobriety. Prisons take away freedom, so do cages in zoo. Such enclosures are designed to decrease individually and increase dependence and obedience. My alcoholism can be viewed similarly. It is a jail that has kept me captive. It has prevented me from thinking about anything or anyone else. It has numbed my feelings. It has severed my ties to a spiritual presence. It has taken away my ability to make choices. And it has deprived me of all of life's beauty and experience. Alcoholism has enslaved me, but AA has liberated me. It opened up all of my senses so I can experience a wide range of sensations. It clears my mind so I can think both rationally and creatively. It opens my world to possibilities. It encourages me to dream. It increases my knowledge. Alcoholism requires my obedience, but AA releases me. With such, with such freedom comes the ability to discover what is within me. It gives me the power to choose and take action. And it expands my horizons in ways that will enable me to see that the only limitations I have today are those I create for myself. Today I am, I am a walking miracle. Today I am no longer different, afraid and alone. Today I will celebrate my freedom from alcoholism. Thank you, Alcoholics Anonymous. When anyone anywhere reach out for help, I want the hands of AA to always be there. And for that, I am responsible. In closing, I would just like to ask you guys to please abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you shall surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. You can stay as you are for the rest of your life or you can change to AA. My name is Ron. Thank you for allowing me to be of service. Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Gugu, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> um, I'm very, very, very much uh, grateful to be given this opportunity to share uh, my story of sobriety. Um, I'm a bit nervous. It's <laughs> At my first time in convention, and um, I'm now four months over. <laughs> um, our team is uh, different, afraid, and alone. Um, quickly, I'm gonna go from that. Uh, I come from a family of alcoholics. Uh, my mother is an alcoholic, um, my stepdad, because I was raised by a stepdad. Um, I'm the only daughter my mom has, and I've got two brothers. So um, I grew up in a shipping, and I started drinking at the age of 12 years. 
Um, I was just drinking for fun, like one bottle was enough for me during that time. And that's how we started. And then it moved from me to drink during the school trips and so on. And then uh, when I was doing grade 10, it started to be something that I was doing full time. So, and I started to drink every weekend and trust me, I was enjoying every single of it. Um, uh, it, it went on and on and on and on. And uh, as time goes by, the alcohol started to show me flames. I remember I used to be the one who's going to take care of everyone whenever we are drinking and wherever we are. But then it uh, came to a time whereby every time we are drinking, I'm going to be the one who's going to pick up the, the phone in the morning and ask, hey, how did we go home? What happened where we were? And as that thing uh, happens, and I, I, I never really thought it was wrong, but as time goes by, I started to discover that I'm having a problem. How come every time I will go out and drink and then in the morning, I don't remember exactly what happened. Then I have to pick up the phone and ask my friend that when you were dropping me here, what was happening? I remember the other day I was fighting with my friend when he was, she was dropping me at the gate and it was already in the morning. So when I wake up, I'm like wondering why was I fighting her because she was dropping me at the gate. And when I was calling her, unfortunately, she couldn't remember as well. So I think we are suffering from the same problem. <laughs> so, yeah. And um, my alcoholism went on and on. Uh, by the way, I'm a mother. So it came to a point that um, I didn't care about my, 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 my child anymore on weekends. In fact, about anyone who was part of my life, uh, you had to understand that uh, everything has to be on hold once we start to approach Friday. And then we will resume on Tuesday because on Monday I have to nest the hangover and I will be like very, 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 very sick. I can't talk, I can't do anything. So the only days that I have in my life in a week, it was only Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Yes. <laughs> and so... Um, this thing went on and on and kept on being uh, forgetful. I started to lose my valuables. And I'm going to be you know, honest enough to you, I've never been robbed. I was losing my valuables. I think I would leave something here and forget that I left my phone here and decided to go home or to move from that place that I'm in. That how I was losing my thing, meaning like I was having a short of memory to forget that if maybe I was trying to... Uh, put on the makeup to uh, on my face, then I would be leaving my purse here and then forget that I left my purse here on top of the whatever, the zinc or whatever, uh, when I'm doing the makeover in the bedroom. So that was the story of my life. And then um, with the, the, my, 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 my son as well, I was very, very, very much absent in his life. He knew that on weekends, Mama is going to give me five friends or whatsoever because she want to go wherever she want to go. And I will not cook for them. I will only bring the takeaways on weekends. But funny enough, because 
although they knew that mama is going to buy us the takeaways on weekends, there is a day whereby I did something very, 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 very sad. I called them and said, then, I'm going to bring you uh, a Nando's. And because they love Nando's and they were very, very much excited that mama is coming and is going to bring us the Nando's. And I bought them the Nando's. And then um, as I continued drinking and drinking and drinking and alcohol taking it place, you know, and then uh, 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 another thing that I didn't know is that when 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 I'm I'm drunk, I'm losing my mind. That the only day that I realized that when I'm drunk, I'm I'm not only getting the blackout, but I'm losing my mind my mind too, because what I did, I came home with the Nando's, and then um, I passed my kitchen. Instead of putting the Nando's in the table or give it to the kids, I passed my kitchen with the Nando's, the full chicken with the salad and everything. And then I passed the passage and I went to my bedroom and then I hide the Nando's behind the, 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 the washing baskets. <laughs> and, then, and then I took my phone as well and then I hide it under my bed because like, I think I was home, but then my mind was still telling me that I'm somewhere whereby I have to keep my things safe so that nobody, like, takes them, you know? And then I went to the kitchen and I went to my kids and, like, did you guys have the Nando's? And they're like, no, you only called and said you're going to bring us the Nando's. And then, but we never saw any Nando's. But I can still remember that I did come with the Nando's. No, guys, where is the Nando's? <laughs> Mama, you've been asking us this thing for like over five times now. We don't know where is the Nando's. And I ended up falling asleep. And when I wake up in the morning and preparing them the breakfast, because this was Monday and they were going to school, I asked them again, did you guys have the Nando's yesterday? They said, there you go again. Even yesterday, that's the very same question that you were asking us, that did we have the Nando's? And that got me very, very, very worried. And after they've left for school, and then when I'm trying to take out my laundry, so that I'm going to do it, they found the Nando's. I was like, oh my God. What is it that I do? I felt so, 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 so embarrassed. I never shared this story with anyone, you know? It's so, 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 so embarrassing. Like, how, why would I hide the, 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 the food behind the, the, the washing laundry and so on? And as for my phone, I searched for it the whole day and I even suspected that there's someone uh, in the house who took my phone and maybe sold it. That what was in my mind, not remembering that I did hide my phone under my bed as well as my purse, everything, because I was still thinking that I'm not yet home yet, I was home. So that's how alcohol was treating me. It was um, very, 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 very bad. And then um, when I started drinking, uh, I, I, I had no one who was going to guide me to say, like, um, I must stop drinking and everything and stuff. Because my mother was an alcoholic too, and she was very, 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 very absent in my life. And um, I've, been, I've been lonely almost all my life. I've been very, very, very lonely, not having someone to talk to when I'm having the issues, you know. 
uh, when you're growing up as a little girl, like I said, that I'm the only daughter that my mom had. So you've got some challenges that you met up with in life when you're growing up, things that you need to talk about. So my mother was not there for me to talk uh, to me about all those things. So I had to see myself out, like how I grew up, how I behave myself and how I'm doing things. And um, that made me to, to end up having a, a lot of anger and hatred. And uh, I, I remember I used to even in a, a, a have jealous of my friends whom they were having a good relationship with, with their mothers. And because I never really got that opportunity to have a, a good relationship with my mother. So I've been very, very, very lonely. And so when I started drinking, that when I started to find fun, but my fun didn't last long enough because um, I was having fun. And then uh, when the alcohol started to take over and show me that I'm an alcoholic, I will drink and mess up. And then the following day, I will feel even more lonely thinking about all the horrible things that I'm doing when I'm drunk and everything and stuff and keep on asking myself that why am I drinking but I will continue to drink again. And um, also um, my relationship with my mother with my mother was really, really, really not good. And in a way that I had to leave my home at a very, very, very early age and uh, started to be independent and live uh, on my own. And uh, my mother used to tell me that when I grew up, uh, I'm beautiful and therefore I must find myself a good man. Uh, she started to tell me the thing when I was still as young as 15 years. And so I grew up and then I find myself a man and then I thought that I've made it all in life because that's what my mom used to tell me. And um, I've been suffering from that thing of uh, being afraid to to be on my own, being afraid to 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 do things on my own, and like think that all the life re revolves around the men that I have to be with, because that how my that what my mother told me. So I've been on an abusive relationship. I've been uh, 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 living a hectic life, but being afraid of stepping uh, on and standing on my own. And um, yeah, so uh, 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 um, my life hasn't been easy. And when I have to, when I was forced to be on a relationship that I don't want to be because of being scared of uh, standing on my own and living my own life, and another thing that I had no one to go back to and talk to since I had no good relationship with my mother, that resulted me into drinking even more. But uh, luckily that uh, the God that we serve is really, really good. Uh, God was there to guide me. I can say that here I am today, it's because of the grace of God that I'm standing here today. God came into my mind. God led me to be a good girl. God uh, guide me to finish my matric because I had no one who was there for me to make sure that I finished my matric. God was there in me that even though I joined alcohol and then I had that mind to say, let me use my data to go in line and seek for help. And then I found hey, hey, and here I am now. I'm sober. I'm beautiful. 
um, I'm in school this year and then now I'm gonna be able to go after my dream and I see the future looks bright. I'm taking it one day at a time. I'm having a very good sponsor and also I'm having a very, very good support from the Soweto group and uh, the ladies there, they are very uh, loving and caring. I have the also one by the name of Rans. She calls me, she WhatsApp me every day to keep me going and I appreciate that a lot. Keep on doing that, Rans. Also, I've got a lady who's from Alanon. Uh, also, she calls me every day to make sure that I'm, I'm doing well by the name of Jakey. So, uh, thank you so much that I found the rooms and, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm willing to do everything that everyone has been doing to keep them sober, taking it one day at a time. Thank you so much. Okay, um, yeah, when Richard asked me to share on um, different alone and afraid, the first thing that popped into my head is the alcoholic thinking, selfish, self-centered fear. Selfish, self-centered fear, you know, the real uh, core of the alcoholism. You know, um, I've come to believe that I was born an alcoholic, um, that alcoholic thinking was there way before I first picked up that first drink. I remember being a, a little boy at the age of four. I had a learning disability and uh, a stuttering problem. And I immediately saw myself as different, afraid and alone compared to my peers. And uh, instead of learning to live life on life's terms, terms, I started attaching things to my ego, uh, attaching things to my self-worth, uh, people, places and things. In other words, when, it, when I was in a little boy at junior school, it would be, if I had that group of friends, then maybe I'd be happy uh, and I wouldn't feel different, afraid and alone. And then I'd moved on to being, if I played for that rugby team, then maybe I'd be happy and I wouldn't feel different, afraid and alone. Uh, if I had that girlfriend, maybe I'd be happy and I wouldn't feel different, afraid and alone. Some of these things I got and some of them I didn't get. But when I did get them, I was very, uh, they were very short-lived. And I moved on to the next quick fix. Um, around about the age of 13, I found this perceived miracle substance called alcohol. Um, it's actually quite ironic. Me and my BMX buddies found the, the Priory Fair fate tent up, and there was a draft machine still in the draft tent, and we poured these big uh, draft mugs full of beer, and we pretended that we were cowboys in the saloon. And I drank this substance, and almost instantaneously, that feeling of being different, afraid, and alone evaporated. Uh, the selfish, self-centered fear went away. And I drank alcoholically from the word go. There was no line that I crossed. Um, I drank to get drunk, and I drank to pass out, and I caused the great people harm, especially my family and my friends. I'd either be fighting with a member of the public, uh, one of my school friends or my girlfriend at the time. But guaranteed, if I drank, there was always chaos and carnage. Um, I'm going to fast forward now to 2005. Uh, my ego is at an all-time high because I've been t chasing after materialistic things uh, and my drinking is at an all-time high. Um, I've just paid off my first house around Port Elizabeth and my head tells me that Port Elizabeth is the problem and I've got to move to Cape Town. So um, I moved to Cape Town and yet again I went on another bender, um, drinking and hunting on with other substances that I was involved with. And, um, you know, I was a type of alcoholic who used to come home from work Okay, and I'd say to my girlfriend and her partner at the time, I'm just going to go and buy a loaf of bread. Okay, I would go and buy the loaf of bread, and then all of a sudden, 
would be five days later. I'd wake up in my house at home, and I'd look to my left and my right, and my partner wasn't in the bed. And then I'd run to the spare room, and she wasn't there. And I think, geez, what's happened? I'd run to the little girl's room. She wasn't there. My head would tell me, she's cheating on me. Okay. <laughs> I would then run to the front door, and I'd open up the front door of the house, and there outside in the car were these two human beings sleeping because I come home and caused so much chaos and so much carnage in that house that they felt it safer to go sleep outside in the car. And that's how Shane drank. And that selfish self-centeredness, it magnified the selfish self-centered thinking. Uh, and my friend said to me, Shane, look, either you get help or we don't want anything to do with you, and rightfully so. And I went to my first rehabilitation center. There I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I remember them speaking about jails, institutions, and death. And I remember them speaking about people who had lost everything through alcoholism. And I thought, no ways, that can never happen to me. It's now 2009, I'm in my ninth rehabilitation center in this little desert town called Nopeport. I'm about six months into my program over there, and uh, my sister phones uh, the center up, and she speaks to me, and she says to me, Shane, you are losing your business. So what does Shane like to do? He likes to play God. He likes to think he's in charge. And I ran away. One thing I did do, which was correct, is I ran back to Port Elizabeth, and I ran back straight into Alcoholics Anonymous. But I just did meetings. I didn't really follow any program. And, uh, you know, I, I met my partner. She's sitting in the front here at that time. And um, we were in recovery for a while. And uh, I was training for this event called the Ironman. And uh, this other event where you paddle from PET to London in the sea. And uh, I was feeling very fatigued. And my sponsor and drug counselor at the time recommended that I go for an HIV test. So I went for this HIV test. And the doctor came out and says, well, look, I'm sorry, but you're HIV positive. And I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've killed, this lady's going to die, I'm going to die, she's a mother, started playing God again. You know, to cut a long story short, she never got it to this day, she's still negative and I've got it. And uh, I said to myself I was going to go drink and hang on with other substances one last time and then I was going to go commit suicide. Uh, cut the hose pipe, um, <laughs> went, uh, drank the nights away, the next day I'm riding to Van Stadens and crying and all this nonsense, drunk for dritt and poor me, poor me, and I, I get to Van Stadens, I get out of the car, I open up the petrol tank, I put the ice pipe in the petrol tank, I'll say, God, I'll be seeing you now, I put it to the back window, and I've realized I've cut it this much too short. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought to myself, geez, Shane, you're so useless, you can't even kill yourself. Um, Catherine, um, she, she, uh, she got hold of me, she said, Shane, just come home. You know, um, us alcoholics are very strong-willed people. You know, if we set our minds to do something, we get it done. I know that because I'm one of you. And, uh, you know, just to prove that my willpower has got nothing to do with this disease of alcoholism, um, it was about two weeks before this Ironman event, and I went on a yet another bender. And I got home three or four days later. It was a Friday. The Saturday, I slept it off. The Sunday, um, I got onto my bicycle, and I couldn't even cycle 20 k's. Never mind swim four kilometers in the sea. Cycle 180 and run 42 kilometers. And the following week, Sunday, I completed the race in a reasonable time, considering the circumstances. And that just proves to me that my willpower has got nothing to do with this disease of alcohol. I've got to surrender to win. I've got to hand my life and my will over to a higher power to overcome this mental obsession and this physical craving. And I hadn't learned that. You know, after that event, um, which I finished, me and Catherine... Uh, we went on our own personal little holocaust. It didn't take a tsunami or flood or natural disaster to completely gut a beautiful four-bedroom house. It took me <clears throat> and my alcoholism. 
Um, after three years, there was nothing left. The cars, um, the clothing, uh, everything was gone. The, the canoes in the garage, the bicycles, everything was sold off piece by piece. It got so bad that I even sold the plants in the garden and the wiring in the roof. I sold every single thing we owned for drinking and coming on with other substance, substances. Um, yeah, and we were dying from this disease. And I came home uh, drunk one day, and I heard Catherine sobbing in the house. And I thought to myself, geez, this is bad. You know, we're dying. And what I decided to do, I got onto my knees and I prayed. And I said, God, if you don't come and help us now, we are going to die. And what happened was, uh, about three days later, God arrived at that house in the form of two of my school friends. I hadn't seen these guys for about eight years. They jumped over the fence. They came around to the back of the house. They saw the carnage and the chaos. And they said to me, Shana, you need help. And I said, I know I need help. And uh, they sent me to a halfway house in Cape Town. And I took this program with both hands. I did 90 meetings in 32 days. I got a sponsor. And I started working these steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And my life made a 180-degree turn in the right direction very, very quickly. The obsession to drink was removed. Uh, I did have a lot of bad days, but that obsession was removed. Um, and uh, I started enjoying my life for the first time. But um, I was chairing the Seapoint meeting and opening up for service there the one morning, you know, uh, all, most of the mornings during the week. And um, the first time in my life I didn't have a car. And I used to live in Woodstock, and I used to run three kilometers down to the Quilla Quilla bus station, catch a Quilla Quilla taxi, and then get to the meeting. This particular morning, I woke up, okay, and um, I realized that I'd overslept. And immediately, that different and afraid and alone sensation took over. That selfish, self-centered fear clicked in. I didn't hand over my will to the God of understanding that morning. I just left the house. And now Cape Town's a beautiful, beautiful place. When I left the house, on the left was a beautiful table mountain, which I couldn't see that day. To the right was the harbor and the ships, which I didn't see that day. It was a stunning day. I only realized this later. And I'm running down the hill, running down the hill. And uh, all of a sudden, there's a man in a wheelchair. He's got one leg. He's pushing himself up backwards, up the hill with one leg. And he makes eye contact with me. He makes eye contact with me. And he smiles. And he waves. He says, Morning bussy like that to me. And I thought, yes, my man. I stopped three or four paces in front of him. I thought, Shane, you know, that is God doing for me that I could not do for myself. Now, if I was in active alcoholism, I wouldn't have been able to see those things. You know, they say what we have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spirit, spiritual condition. I didn't take that side of the program seriously. And I started slipping spiritually and I picked up again and I started drinking again. And I was sentenced to prison for housebreaking and theft. I stole from my sister and uh, her husband and my mom and my dad and my family and other people I stole from. And I was sentenced to housebreaking and theft. And let me tell you, when I put that orange uniform on, I felt different, afraid, and alone. Um, and uh, I started practicing. I had two choices. I could either join a prison gang and run on with other substances that were in there, or I could start following this program of, of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I decided to put these steps into practice that I had practiced before. And I started learning patience. I started understanding that life on life's terms. I started understanding to live and let live. The way Shane chooses to live his life is his responsibility. The way other people choose to live their lives is up to them. Uh, prison is not an easy place in South Africa. You know, we are 90, 70 to 80 people in a cell, 20 meters by 6 meters wide, 
one toilet that didn't flush, uh, cold water basin, and that was in the shower, a few hours of hot water a day. Uh, I celebrated my first year clean and sober in prison. I celebrated my second year clean and sober, uh, and eventually I got out. I'm in my fourth year of recovery now. And, um, you know... Just to uh, finish off, uh, you know, having a working knowledge of these steps uh, that a sponsor took me through, I'm just going to read to you what recovery is for me now. Uh, recovery for me is practicing these principles in all my affairs, understanding that my balance comes from putting it first. When I don't feel like going to meetings, I go anyway. When I don't feel like doing exercise, I do it anyway. When I don't feel like saying sorry, I do it anyway. When someone asks me to for help, I suit up and show up and check my motives for being there. I get to meetings early to help put out the chairs. I stay a bit longer to help tidy up. I make a point of greeting newcomers and exchanging phone numbers. It's not about how I'm feeling anymore. Feelings aren't just facts. If you've got a roof over your head, you've got food in your stomach, and you're clean and sober, just for today, you're having a good day, no matter what this thing says between my ears. Sometimes you've just got to smile and wave. Don't take life so seriously. Remember that I'm living on borrowed time, as I should have been dead long, long time ago. Love those who treat you right and pray for those who don't. Love them anyway. It's not about how far you fall or how you get up. It's what you do with your own personal experience. Recovery, remember that in God's hands, anything is possible. Recovery for me is a journey back to the one who created me. 10% of what you make it and 90% of how you take it. Um, I'm going to end off there. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> Good morning. Um, my name is Kaben. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, very proud member of the Clairwood Group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Durban. Um, I want to thank the organizing committee here for uh, uh, giving me this opportunity to, to talk this morning. Um, it's, a, it's a great honor indeed. My very first uh, convention talk in South Africa. Um, I also want to thank uh, all those who actually assisted uh, with, with, with my recovery, my sponsors, uh, the Fellowship of AA, the, uh, the founders. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful program. I cannot go without saying that my power is in those. No recovery would have been possible without my higher power. If I had not come into the AA some five years ago, I wonder where or if I would be standing at all. There's a little bit about my background. I grew up in a family where alcohol was common. My, uh, my parents were essentially teetotalers. They didn't drink, but the family business involved hotels, liquor stores, and nightclubs. And I was brought up in that environment. There's, uh, so I was always surrounded by alcohol. Um, always helped out in the in the family business when I was not at school after 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 school or during weekends on holidays. Always did that. My first real drink actually happened helping out. Uh, it was it's a 
at a cinema that uh, a family owned, and at this cinema I had a bar. The barman was sick, and uh, he asked me to step in for him. So I took over control of, of, of the bar and the cinema. I was about 13 then, and as you can imagine, in a bar, there's long intervals, you know, from where there's uh, no customers. Intermission is short, and people go back to the cinema again to watch the movies. And I was left wondering about uh, what was all this fascination with alcohol and why people were so demanding on of what they wanted to drink and what they wanted to drink it with. And I was determined to find out. So I started my great experiment. And as someone would actually read a book, I started off from shelf to shelf, from the top top left, all across, the next shelf, top left, all across, I carried on a drink from each and every bottle that was there. And it was quite a big buy. <laughs> And uh, my very first adventure with alcohol and uh, my very first blackout. So began uh, my journey with, uh, with alcohol. Some, uh, it was to last some 40 years. But that event was, for me, was life-changing in the sense that uh, I now suddenly belonged to a new club. New, new friends, people who knew, who knew I drank, everything changed. The world changed. The, the way my family treated me changed. Uh, I was into a different sort of club when I engaged with people. Prior to that, I was very reserved, very shy. I always held, held back at functions. I would, I would be too timid to actually talk let alone dance or engage with anyone that I didn't know. With close family, it was fine, but anything beyond that was an issue. The same at school. At school, the worst thing for me ever was to stand up in front of people for orals. I would suddenly be sick that day or be absent the day. I wouldn't. I was petrified. Absolutely, absolutely petrified. Alcohol was, to me became a lubricant. It lubricated my body. I could move. I could dance. It lubricated my tongue. I could speak, talk, do anything. It lubricated my mind. I could <laughs> think it, say anything. I had wonderful, wonderful ideas. Exceptional ideas. At that time that I had those thoughts, they were great, great thoughts. Why did I ever think of this before? The next day, Hey, forget it. <laughs> Either forgot those thoughts completely, those great ideas disappeared, or they didn't look so great again. Absolutely not. Uh, yeah, so alcohol was my go-to. And I increasingly uh, I loved the taste of alcohol, and uh, it was my solution for anything and everything. And it my drinking progressed from occasionally to every weekend, eventually to every day. My, my dreams of becoming a doctor was dashed, fell out of medical school in my third year. I uh, had lots of, uh, I'd say lots of, I had lo uh, lots of 
broken relationships, damaged relationships over that, that span of 40 years of drinking. The thing that alcohol did was, besides the lubrication, was the corrosion. It corroded my mind. It ate away at all the good stuff. It ate away at my, uh, what I would like to call it, my higher thinking, my empathy, my feeling for others, my care about others. It ate away at my spirituality. And I stopped, totally stopped believing in God. I uh, didn't care for others. Eventually I cared only and only for myself. And it was all about this self-preservation. So my initial fears, the fears of talking, the fears of being shy or being ridiculed by others, eventually were turned to fears that arose for within myself, fears about what would happen for not to not have alcohol, for example. And alcohol became the center point of everything. I organized a trip, alcohol had to feature. I planned everything according to when and where I would get my next fix. So if it was a vacation, if it was a family function, whatever it was, alcohol was central. So from being a, a solution to a problem that I had, it actually became an absolute necessity. But the problem wasn't just that. It became worse. The fun aspect got over with, and all the problems started happening. The problems from the smashed relationships I had spoken about. I'll fast forward again. The story is a rather long one, if you can think about 40 years of drinking. I'll fast forward uh, to a point where I went to a convention uh, that in the south coast of KZN, I had about a hundred of my managers. And what happened was, uh, I, for the first time ever, I actually blacked out at, at a company function. To make it worse, what happened was, uh, the next day, when I got up, I couldn't open my eyes, I couldn't see, and I'd call out for help. I totally embarrassed that to be driven back home. My fancy car had someone else actually had to drive me back home because I couldn't see. After a long time, uh, there was complete silence in the car, and uh, I started examining my life again. There was a time prior to that, many years before that, where I was also at, my, at a low point, where I was in a psychiatric hospital because of depression, uh, and um, I wanted to end my life then. And I was feeling exactly the same. I was thinking, what's happened since then, since all those years ago to now? I'm in no better place. I feel I felt absolutely, absolutely worthless. I felt that I had not achieved anything worthwhile. I thought that I was going to slip again into that deep depression that I had before. And this time, I felt there would be no comeback. There would be no, no way I would be able to survive. I went to a, to a doctor on my return, and for the first time ever, I admitted to another human being that I had a problem with alcohol. I went for my eyes. I had no, I, I didn't intend telling the doctor my problem, but I did. I said, I, I said, doctor, I have a problem with alcohol. I think I need help. He says, repeat, repeat, repeat what you said. And I said again, doctor, I have a problem with alcohol. I think I need help. And by chance, the doctor was a friend of AA 
steered me into the direction of Alcoholics Anonymous. My poor wife was, says, the doc, can't you at least have a glass of red wine? It's good for his heart. <laughs> the doctor said, no, no way. Uh, he's, uh, for the type of alcoholic he is, he cannot drink it again ever. So, there's a couple of God incidences with that that I, you know, I like to think of to the, uh, that God intervened in my, in my life at that time. Getting embarrassed in that, that extent in front of everybody, uh, not being able to see or, you know, getting embarrassed even further, being, not being able to see and being driven in that quiet for that hour and a half allowed me to introspect and examine my life in a way I had not done for years and years. And that the doctor, the doctor was a friend of A, that's coincidence as well. But this last one is also important. The last one was the last drink I had. It was the first and only time I ever drank it. <laughs> uh, it was a drink called Kuba Meister. That was the last thing I drank. My name is Kuba. And Meister means master. The last drink truly, truly mastered me. Really, it did. It just seemed it was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then then I, lucky I had a sponsor from day one into AA. That was Chris E of the Crofting Group. I received great guidance from the very start. I was also coming into AA. I was scared. I was scared what it's going to be like. How I'm going to survive with the alcohol, which I used as crutch for so many years. How many of my former customers am I going to meet whose drives, lives were destroyed by coming, giving me support? My education was probably paid for by them. So those sorts of things were things that went in my mind. How can I ever do this? How can I go through this? The other thing, oh, I'm out of time. Uh, so, all those things were actually related. Uh, I was welcomed warmly. I had a, um, I took to the program like a duck to water. I knew I had to have that vital spiritual experience and have the change around or else I'll be dead. That's how seriously I took the program and I tried to apply the principles in, in, in my life. Um, I, I'm sorry, I'm out of time, but uh, I wish to thank you again, once again. Thank you, Neelam. Uh, thank you all for listening to me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.